Well, good morning, Austin Oaks Church. How are we doing? Hey, two weeks in a row, I like it. Hey, why don't you turn to your neighbor and say, let's go Verde. Hold on, come on. Sorry, I know, I know. I actually was debating, like, don't bring sports up in the pulpit. I can't help myself. Huge fan. Austin FC is playing LAFC, I'm just saying. Um, the Bears have second place today. Not a big deal. Um, it, hey, Classic Service, glad to have you. Sorry for my immaturity over here. Now, first and foremost, I, I want to encourage you to do a few things, church. We are in this season of, like, we're moving into Christmas, even though it's like, yeah, like the South is weird. I'm just going to say that. Like, you start seasons way too early. Like, it's just bizarre. Like, Halloween was up in September, and once October 31st passes, Christmas shows up. But that's great. We need to get our heart into that season. For me personally, the Ziski clan, Christmas shows up after Thanksgiving, okay? Like, that's when it shows up, okay? Just, just saying. So, but nonetheless, uh, we're going to start a little bit early in one way with Operation Christmas Child, Okay, so church, I want to encourage you to do this. Okay, you're going to see this, in, like I believe it's next Sunday. We're going to be having these boxes up here. I want to see so many boxes from our church that we can't even see that screen. Come on. So like, like don't just do one. Don't do two. Do five. Okay, come on. So I want to encourage you, move into that because not only is it like a tangible way of blessing a, a child in another nation, but it's also a way of partnering and mobilizing the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Okay, and like you have no idea how far that will go. Okay, so I want to encourage you to partner with Jesus in terms of spreading his good news all across the world. Um, also, are there, is there anybody in this room who's awake that came from the youth retreat? <laughs> They're like, yeah, okay. Like, I don't know, my daughter was there, and I don't know where she is, but like, I assume she's probably tired. But nonetheless, like, uh, youth leaders, any of our youth leaders, volunteers that were there, stand up, stand up right now. Yes, I'm looking at you, stand up. Yeah. Any of the guys who served, volunteered at their youth retreats, like, I want to say thank you for really standing in the gap and loving our kids well. I trust that the Lord did a mighty work, not just like in your hearts, but also in the hearts of our kids. That's exciting. I love seeing the next generation move towards Jesus. That is a huge passion for our church. Um, if you see anybody who looks like could be a youth leader sleeping, it's okay. Let them sleep. Don't bother them. Um, we're going to be moving into a great message this morning. It's not great because I came up with it or whatever it is. It, it, I believe it's something that we need to hear. Okay, like we've been in this series called Need Rest. And there's this resounding yes. Because we live in a hurried culture, a fast-paced world. And this morning, I believe we're going to be talking about one of the circumstances and situations where rest feels impossible. And so I'm actually, I'm, and I encourage you to join me if you want, but I feel a little inadequate to this task of trying to expose God's word on this topic because it's like, 
I struggle in this area as well. And so I'm actually just going to get on my knees in a posture of symbolism saying, Lord, I need you. And if you want to, I encourage you to do it as well where you're at if you feel comfortable. And just ask for the Lord to give you a heart to receive this morning. So, Lord, I pray, um, God, and not to try to be dramatic, but, Lord, these are moments in our lives where we need to see you and understand you. And, Lord, apart from your spirit, we really are lost. Lord, I pray that this morning you would be our comforter, that you would be our our guide, our shepherd. Lord, that you would be our counselor, that you would be the prince of peace. But Lord, I also ask at the same time that you would not only encourage our hearts, but that you would also challenge us and and stir us up. God, help us to confess the sin that we need to confess. But Lord, I pray more than anything that every single one of us in this room or every single one of us who is watching online, we move closer to you. Our trust grows. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you would have your way, speak through me, and I pray that we would have ears to hear. In Christ's name, amen. So I'm, I'm going to assume that out of the last two weeks in our messages, if you've been with us, maybe you felt the need to like apply some of these things that we've been talking about, about like how we need to hear his voice and get into God's word. Or maybe like I'm going to come to Jesus and take off the yoke and put on his yoke and, and you're going like, to like go, I'm going to carve out some intentional time. I'm going to give Jesus some special time, and I'm going to get everything set and ready, and it's just going to be me and the Lord, because quite frankly, I need rest for my soul. And so in your intentional efforts and plan and maneuvering in your schedule, you begin to discover as you're trying to pursue this elusive rest with Jesus, you discover that, well, life doesn't seem to always cooperate with your plans. So maybe your experience is something a lot like this clip. Doesn't that ring true? Like, have you ever, like, you've made that effort to find rest in God and you wanted to have that quiet time and it just feels futile and and hopeless. Like, you you get that moment where you muster up the energy and, and you're like, Jesus, you and me. Today, I got my Bible out. I got all my favorite pens here. I got my cup of coffee or my tea. I got my worship playlist. I found the perfect spot. And then the next thing you know, distractions happen. 
And all of a sudden it dawns on you, man, I have a really short attention span. The dog is scratching at the door, needs to go outside, your phone vibrates. Or maybe you just remembered, you got that one item that you need to do, and you're like, okay, I better take care of it, so that way I can actually focus on this time. And then you grab your phone, and you deal with it, and next thing you know, you're in this perpetual swipe cycle. And then you're like, what am I doing? You ever have that moment where you're trying and then it like you get so frustrated because you're like, okay, I need to connect with the Lord. I need to find this rest. And you actually leave that moment more frustrated, more exhausted. And you're like, what's the point? You need this, this, uh, my notes just froze. Sorry. There we go. Like you're trying, <laughs> case in point. Right? Like, you ever been there? Like, you're like, oh man, they always say you gotta have time with the Lord, you gotta be in the Word, but every time I do, like, something happens, or some distraction comes, or my phone rings, or I fall asleep. That's what I, happens to me when I try to have a quiet time in the morning. And then you just kind of keep going, and you know it's there. Have you ever felt that? Like, you ever try to do what's right? And try to find this peace, find this rest, especially when you're confronting a dead-end situation in life. A moment in your life where you are facing a dead-end, where you felt like you've done all that you could, and you're running out of options, and this dead-end could be in relationships, it could be in parenting, friendships, it could be financial, it could be vocational, it could be spiritual, it could be emotional, and you're in that dead end and you're trying so hard and you can't seem to see God's hand. You don't know where he is. You don't know if he's at work, but you're like, God, I'm here. I'm trying. And all these things are happening and coming. And when you constantly are facing this dead end, we end to slip up into what we call a dark night of the soul. I can't think of any other moment or circumstance in life where rest feels Impossible. You ever have those moments? When you're facing something and it's just feeling hopeless. You don't know what else to do. Rest. Come to me all who labor, who are weary and heavy burdened. God, I'm trying. Where are you? What are you doing? Why haven't you fixed this? Why haven't you solved it? God, why haven't you changed everything? God, why haven't you made a way? Rest speaks of comfort. It speaks of having security. It speaks of a peace that transcends understanding, a settled assurance, a confidence in. Rest comes from trust. And trust is the result when we take what we believe and we mix it with faith. Trust is what you find in a good and healthy and vibrant relationship that is able to weather any storm, able to go through any circumstance Rest is only found in trust. And trust is what is found in a loving relationship. 
Rest is a trust that embodies and embraces God's word. It's a trust that says like, God, I am depending fully on. I am leaning on your word so much so that if it's not true, I am going to fall completely. Trust is saying I am acting as if this is true, that this is my only option no matter what. I'm building my life on the foundation of your word. Trusting Jesus' words no matter what the circumstance or situation is. Isn't it true? This is so much easier to do when everything is going great. But so much harder when you're in a dead end. When you're in the middle of a dark night of the soul. And all you feel is the panic of anxiety, despair, stress, and worry. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 2, where we talked about this from the first message, where God was telling the people, saying, the promise of entering his rest still stands. And he says that the nation of Israel failed to enter into that rest. Why? Because they failed to mix faith with their belief. They failed to trust in who God was. It was circumstantial because when they faced difficulties, when they faced dead ends, they were like, God, who are you and where are you and what's your purpose for us? We better go back to Egypt. And we see later on in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, that without faith, it's impossible to please God. That speaks of a relationship, like without trust, without faith, it's impossible to please God. It's impossible to be in a relationship with God. So it is clear that trust matters, that if we want to find this rest specifically in the confrontation of dead ends and in the middle of the dark night of the soul, we have to have trust. We have to come to Jesus. And this is why I believe that the most beautiful precious and innocent confession regarding faith is found in Mark 9, 24. A father who's at his end, a dead end with his son, comes to Jesus. Can you do anything? And Jesus is like, if I can, all things are possible. And then the father replies, in my opinion, the most beautiful confession. I believe. Help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. This is the most authentic and needed confession when we face a dead end and a dark night. Isn't it? But sometimes we're just too proud to admit that. But I want to ask a question because this is what I want to talk about this morning. Is to find the answer to this question. If we're asking God to help us with our unbelief, how then does Jesus help our unbelief? Because what we want is God just to kind of like drop down some faith dust on us all of a sudden. Like, help my unbelief. Got it! But if you ever follow Jesus and hit a dead end, you know that's not the case. More often than not. But God 
is at work. God is intentionally moving and doing something in these moments. And in these moments, unfortunately, when we are at these moments of dead ends and dark nights, is often the very time when God is helping our unbelief. Because we need to come to the end of our rope and end of our options and stop laboring and stop striving and to find ourselves dependent upon him and going, God, if you don't make a way, there is no way. And out of that, we come to experience who he is. Trust is the currency in any and every relationship. If you want to grow your love for Jesus, you have to grow in your trust. And how do you grow your trust? You have to know God's word. There's no other way around it. You have to. Because that's how trust is often formed. So we're going to talk about dead ends and dark nights. And we're going to discover how, in fact, Jesus is helping our unbelief in these moments. Friends, these moments will come. You've more than likely have been in one. How many of you have ever experienced a dead end? Come on now. Help a preacher out. How many of you experienced a dead end? How many of you felt dark nights? Some of you are in it right now. I know that. And they will come. And Jesus said in John 16, in this world, you will have trouble. You will have tribulations. You will have trials. But take heart. I have overcome the world. How can you take heart if you don't have trust? So that's what we have to look at. Isn't it true that trust is often developed, strengthened, and reinforced when somebody upholds their word? When like they give a promise and the promise is follow through on and when someone breaks their promise isn't then like our trust like like fractured and shaken and wounded in that moment and then we have to rebuild our trust and we have to like see the integrity that their word matches their actions isn't that how it happens like friends we struggle with this a little bit right like like we we want a promise because we want something to be guaranteed because we want to be able to put our hope on something that we can expect to happen. And so a lot of times like in our human relationships like kids do this especially do you promise? You ever say like kids are like dad dad will we do this? Yeah, maybe. Do you promise? <sighs> And if you say yes, they, they may still even doubt you because they're going to go for the jugular. Then you say, okay, pinky promise. As if like somehow like that's like the deal, right? And so you pinky promise and you realize that your pinky is on the line, you know. But it's like we, we do this all the time. Like we want to know that what was said can be expected. It can be counted on. It can be relied on. We want a sure hope. We don't want a false hope. So we build trust off of promises. But the problem is in human experience, the promises with human relationships doesn't necessarily give us the best outcome, right? How many people have broken their promise? <laughs> you don't need to raise your hand on that one. We're in a voting season. It's a season full of promises. 
But we got to remember that when we make promises to each other, that we have three things going against us. Sin, limited knowledge, and limited power. Like our motives are a mess. And sometimes we make a promise to manipulate the circumstance, to try to cover up something or to try to persuade someone to think something. And so it's like sometimes when we make promises, our motives are all a mess. And we also have like limited knowledge because we don't always know what's going to happen. If I make a promise to my kid that, hey, I will be at your game. I, I don't know. I can't foresee all events. I can't predict if an accident is going to happen at the Y and I'm not going to be able to make the game and break my promise. Limited power. I can't control the variables in life. I can't control the economy. I can't control what someone else is going to do. And so, like, we have these struggles, and here's the reality. We take our experiences from each other, and then we place that on God, and we have a hard time understanding the beauty and the surety of God's promises to us. But God doesn't have the same limitations that we have. He's sinless. That means every promise he makes is, is good and it's pure and it's reliable. He does have all the knowledge. He does foresee all things. And he does have all the power. He does control all the variables to which we go. Then why do these things happen? Because God is at work trying to do something inside of us. Friends, we got to realize this. Our whole belief system of Christianity Everything we believe is absolutely dependent on the promises that God has made. It's not cultural. It's faith. Our whole belief system is dependent upon his promises. And faith or trust is the key that unlocks them. Think about last week when Jesus said, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Well, that's a promise. It's guaranteed. His motives are good. He knows all options. He has all the power. So you know that if God said it, you can guarantee it to happen, but faith has to unlock that key. So we come to him. Take down thy yoke. Take my yoke upon you. Then you will find rest for your souls. Salvation, confession of sins, justification, provision. Everything is in the realm of a promise. So we got to embrace that. And understand that our dynamic with Jesus is all related around his word. And if he's trustworthy, is he reliable? Is he good? Is it a sure thing? Or is it circumstantial? With God, a promise made by God has a guaranteed result 100% of the time. Even in your dead end, even in your dark night, it never fails. So we have to know his promises. We have to know his word. Second Peter, verse, chapter 1, verse 3 through 4. I, this is going to sound weird, but like I truly adore these two verses. First Peter, or Second Peter, chapter 1, verse 3 through 4. His divine power 
has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him. Like, through knowing him, we are able to have all that we need for this life. Who has called us to his own glory and excellence. Look at verse 4. By which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises Why? So that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. In other words, move into this new creation life, but also referencing having a relationship with God, having escaped the corruption that is in this world because of sinful desires. You see, God has given us precious and very great promises. Why? So that we can partake with him. So that we can be in communion with him. So that we can live the life that we're called to live. No matter the circumstance. No matter the situation. No matter the emotion. Like think, let that sink in for a moment. He wants us. That's why he gave us this. Like, so the question that I begin asking is, how well do I know his promises? Like, how well do I know his word? Like, do I see his promises as precious and very great to the degree that I'm like, I need to know these. Because trust and rest are related. Do you want rest? You got to trust. And how do you trust? You got to get to know him. And you know him through his word. And I love this, Joshua 21, 45. In Joshua 21, 45, not one word of all of the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. It's true for you too. God can't lie. He's the same. And when we sing this song, you are the same God. That's like us stirring up faith to remember who he is. God doesn't change. But what we need to remember and know is that our growth is dependent upon living out God's promises. He doesn't lie. He is trustworthy no matter the circumstance, no matter the situation. And here's what I love about it. In our efforts, God, here I am. I'm trying. God, I'm trying. Inner peace and just all these things. It just keeps raining. It's that saying, when it rains, it pours. It always feels like that. I'm hanging on. I'm trying. I'm praying. I don't know what else. God, I'm going to and we find ourselves constantly, I don't see you, God. I, 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 don't, I don't know if I believe you anymore. Like, where are you? But the good news is that the fulfillment of God's promises is not dependent upon your performance or your effort or your confidence in yourself. Praise the Lord. So don't put your trust or your confidence in yourself and trying to do it right. No, put your confidence, lean on the very word of God and put your hope in God's promises which are anchored in who he is. 
It's a relationship. And here's the part that's so hard because God wants us to trust him. When we say, I believe, help my unbelief, God's like, great, I'm going to do that. And in the process, we have to learn how to surrender. We have to learn how to depend. We have to learn the futility of our efforts. We have to come to grips with reality and our limitations. And it takes faith because this is not a good point, but it's true. He fulfills his promises in his time and in his way. That's the part we don't like. Man, God, where are you? God's not confined by time. God is perfect and he knows how to extract the trust, how to grow the faith. Second Peter 3.9, God is not slow in keeping his promises. He is not slow as we consider slowness. God uses the time to teach us to help us confront our limitations of not only of ourselves, but of the world and the world's ways and wisdom. So friends, with Jesus, nothing, nothing is ever fatal. Nothing is ever final. With Jesus, there's always a way, always a way, but it might not be your way and it might not happen on your timetable, but he is true. You can trust him. He is good. Not one of his promises will not come to pass. They all will come to pass. I love this verse. First, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, 20. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. Let's read this together. I want you to perk up for a moment. Okay? For all the promises of God find their yes in him. Pause. Repeat. Pause. Repeat, because three is a holy number. Who's him? Jesus. That is why it's through him we utter our amen. That is not a nice perfunctory thing that we say at the end of our prayers. Unfortunately, we trade it as such. Da -da 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 -da. Amen. We're done. Amen is this like the signet ring of trust. When you say amen... You are saying, so be it. Faith, trust, I, it is done. This promise, even though it's not realized now, it is a yes in Jesus because it is finished. Amen. Every amen you utter is a declaration of trust, of faith. And every promise is a yes in Jesus. So we've been talking a lot about these principles and stuff. But like, I want us to get down into our heart a little bit. Because these are things, like, when we start talking about these points and these principles and these truths, it's like, it's easy to preach. Because it preaches well. 
but it's hard to embrace and it's hard to embody because the reality is the majority of time when we see people in scripture in the midst of a dead end, we read it as if it was a momentary dead end. But if you read stories like in the Psalms and you read some of these poetries, like you realize that this wasn't a day thing. This was a season thing. And so I think it's important for us to look at narrative and look at poetry so that way we can take these points and these principles and, and try to use it to get into our heart to bring some peace to the storm that rages inside. I can't think of any better narrative than in Exodus 14 to talk about a dead end in the promises of God. And I'm just going to summarize this. Israel was enslaved to Egypt for 400 years, oppressed, crying out to God. God raises up Moses to deliver them, to take them out of Egypt and to move them into the promised land, to fulfill the promises and the covenant that he made with Abraham, the father of their faith. He leads them out with a pillar of fire and cloud. And they leave Egypt, they plunder Egypt, they have all the things and they're moving forward. And then all of a sudden in Exodus 14, God tells Moses, Moses, Turn around, go back, go to the Red Sea. And like, I can imagine Moses in that, more, in that moment going like, am I hearing you right? Like, so they go back to Dead Sea, or like the Red Sea. So like, you got to imagine Israel's excited. We're free. We're going to the promised land. God's in our midst. No one like him. This is awesome. We're his people. And then they go to the Red Sea. They're stuck there. And all of a sudden in the horizon, they see this dust cloud. And slowly but surely, they hear this roar, this low thunder coming. And they can see in the distance, it's Pharaoh and all his chariots. And they realized Moses, actually, God led them to a dead end. They are trapped. This is a cul-de-sac with no escape route. And so Israel does what Israel does, which, let's be honest, which is what we do when we're in a dead end. God, why did you do this? I thought you were for me. I thought you loved me. I thought you were this. Why did you bring us out here to die? Man, it would have been better if we would have stayed in Egypt. How quickly... They forgot God's word. How quickly they forgot God's promises. And Moses looks to Israel and says, Calm down. No, you didn't say that. Maybe he did. Do not fear. Four powerful things in the dead. Do not fear. Stand firm in faith. Stand firm on the promises. Watch God work. Be silent. Do not fear that you're in a dead end. Stand firm on the promises. Did God lead you out of Egypt? Did he promise that he's going to take you to the promised land? Is he true to Abraham? Yes, yes, yes. Stand firm on that. Watch God work. Be silent. That word silent is like a child in his mother's arm. Rest. And God made a way. But there had to have been emotions. And that's what I want to talk to you about right now.
or the emotions that we feel when we face the dead end that we call the dark night. And we have these psalms that tell us that what we feel is okay. That the turmoil in the heart in these dark moments is okay to feel, but it's not okay just to stay in. So turn with me to Psalm 77. And I'm just going to hit some of these things because it's pretty self-explanatory. Asaph is in the dark night of the soul. And it's assumed he's been in it for some time. Look at the first three verses. I cry aloud to God. The Hebrew is yell. How many of you have ever yelled at God? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe not externally. Have you ever yelled at God internally? I yell aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I will seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearing. Like this is him saying, it's like, I'm trying. I'm trying, God, to stand firm. I'm trying to do this. And in the midst of his efforts, what you see him is saying, my soul refuses to be comforted because when I remember God, I moan. I groan because it's not true now. It's not my experience now. Like what I'm feeling is this absence of God. Like where are you, God? I'm trying. I'm doing all this stuff. And my, my soul is just like it's refusing to be comforted. You ever have those moments where you're just like, I'm, I'm praying, God, I'm trying. I don't know what else to do. I'm at the end of my rope. I love the message version of this. Like there's this beautiful picture of like when, when he says, I remember God and when I meditate, my spirit faints. Like Eugene Peterson like describes it as like withering his hands in an anxious state. Like you ever have such anxiety that you find yourself doing this or like doing this, like whatever it is. Like that's what the psalmist is feeling in this moment. Like I'm trying, God. Verse four, you hold my eyelids open. I'm so troubled. I cannot speak. Like when he says you hold my eyelids open, he's accusing God for not allowing him to sleep at night, that he's not giving stillness of thought. His brain is just spinning and spinning and spinning and spinning. It's not a fair accusation, but it's what he's feeling nonetheless. You're holding my, I'm so troubled, I cannot speak. I am so done. It's gotten so bad, I don't even know how I got here. All I see is despair and hopelessness. I consider, verse 5, the days of old, the years long ago. I remember the good days, God, when I would have my quiet time with my coffee and your word would just jump off the page and and I would find the right worship tune and I would get the goose pimples and all of the things and you were so good. I remember the things and all the times when the kids were good and all this stuff and I remember when you were clear and evident. (sighs) I remember them. I don't want to think about them anymore. Thinking of the past hurts. It's sad. I don't want to speak of it anymore. This is what he's saying. So let me meditate in my heart. There's like this angst and frustration. And then it turns. Because he's like, okay, 
This is what I'm feeling. And it was almost like he has this moment like, okay, stop having a pity party. It's not a rude statement. He's just like, okay. And then he turns the page. Then my spirit made a diligent search. And even in this search, he's starting to ask some raw questions. Will the Lord spurn forever? Will the Lord keep his back turned on me forever? Will he never again be favorable? Will he never again be good to me? Show mercy to me? Show grace to me? Show love to me? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Like he, he's like feeling this. This is what he's wondering in this dark night that's a result of a dead end. Are his promises at an end for all time? You ever been there? Are you there right now? And then he said, I'll appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. And this is him standing firm on the word. Because he can't see God in the present. He goes, where have I seen God faithful in the past? And he looks back. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Personally and historically. I remember your wonders of old. I ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds your way, oh God, is holy. It is set apart. It's not my ways. I can't explain why I'm feeling what I'm feeling or why I am where I am, but your way is holy. And I'm going to trust that. What God is like, our great God, you are the God who works wonders. You've made known your might among the people. You've redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. He even goes all the way back to creation. When the water saw you, oh God, when the water saw you, they were afraid. He's rehearsing the power of God. The, cl- the clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of the thunder was in the world. And your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Verse 19. Your way was through the sea. Your path was through the great waters. And yet your footprints were unseen. His way wasn't around the sea. It was through the sea. I believe God Help my unbelief. Okay. I've given you promises. They're great and they're precious, but it's going to take faith and trust for you to experience them. I don't change, they will always happen. But I might need you to experience a dead end in order for you to lean on it to trust it. You might have to be in a dark night of the soul in order for you to see your limitations. Because this is where trust is forged. My love, and I trust my wife's love for me, has grown deeper and stronger 
not because of the high moments, but because of the tough moments where trust was built and discovered. It's the same with God. So here's the application because I want to be able to give you something that just hang on to as you move forward. Romans chapter 4, verses 18 through 21, is this beautiful picture of how someone chooses to hold on to the promises. And it's this picture of Abraham. Verse 18, in hope he believed against all hope that he should become the father of many nations. He knows the promises. This is based upon the promise that God has made Abraham. He knows these promises. That's the first thing. Church, I'm telling you, you have to know the promises of God. You have to know his heart because that's where we begin to discover his character. And then it says that in hope, he believed against all hope. In hope, I'm believing against all hope. In other words, like the circumstance that I am in, my limitations and my emotions is hopeless. But he's promised that I would have a child. And so I'm going to hope in spite of hope. The reality is a hopeless reality, but his word said this, so that's my hope. I'm hoping in spite of hope. That's how you stand firm. In whatever dead end or dark night you're in, hope against all hope. And then he does this in verse 19. He considers the facts. He looks at his body and his wife's body and goes, this is as good as dead. How can we have a child? It is impossible. I can't fix this situation. I can't fix this thing that's happening with myself. I can't fix this thing that's happening with my children. I can't do this. I'm not able. I'm not mentally strong, emotionally strong. Confront the reality. Face the facts. And then you move from there. And it says that, and he did not waver in unbelief, considering the promises, but he gave glory to God. That's the last part. You know his promises. You hope in spite of all hope. You consider the facts, and then you praise God for the yes in Christ. Because his promises are guaranteed. You praise him in advance. That's how we give glory to God. Scripture says rejoice always. In all things give thanks. And you can just say why. In Romans 8 it says he turns all things out for good. That's how we find rest. We grow our trust. So, I want us to spend a time of worship and prayer. I asked the worship team to play the song Waymaker because I thought it was appropriate. Where there is no way, he makes a way. In Romans 4, verse 17, just before we get into this part, it talks about God. He's the God who raises the dead. He calls things that are not as though they were. 
Friends, some of you right now need to have in what we can say is like a bit of a resurrection moment in our heart. So as we engage in worship in this song, like if you are in a dark night of the soul, and if you are facing a dead end, I want you, like I plead with you to come forward for prayer. Don't just sit there. Take a step and allow that step to be a symbolic picture of coming to Jesus and trusting his promise. So if you are facing a dead end in whatever capacity that is, and if you are in the midst of a dark night, come up for prayer. And for some of you in this room who are part of the prayer team, like we have some people over there right now, but I want to encourage you to come on up so that way nobody's missed. Father, I I ask that in these moments where people may be feeling hopeless, where maybe they're feeling a fatal or final circumstance, like there is no thing, I'm at the end of rope, I don't know what else I can do, I don't know how this is going to work. Or maybe they've taken offense at you because of your delay or slowness or they don't like the way you're moving. But you are good and you've given us your precious and great promises and and you're faithful. You you don't lie. You're the same. And so, God, I pray that this morning you would grow our trust, stir our faith, and heal us on the inside. Lord, we are a people who need your rest. And we recognize that it's only you. We can only find our rest in you. So Jesus, use these final moments to work in our heart.